0: fun ending ever. La <laughs> La uh, so speaking of mysteries, we have a uh, a uh, titillating announcement to make here. How long has it been since you've been titillated? <laughs> Sounds bad, doesn't it? It comes with fringe on it, you know. But uh we uh, have a titillating announcement here to make, and uh, it is, for sooth and to wit, the following, that uh, very shortly, in fact, next Monday, we will announce the winner in our uh, our head-crushing uh, equation contest. You remember a couple of... Well, it's almost been a month or so. It's been more than a month, has not it? Something like that, way back. We uh, we requested a uh, uh, gigantic blockbuster equations in which the only the only requirement has to be one that they're workable. They really are real equations, you know, algebra type equations. And two, C has to equal three. And the total equation comes out in equals zero. And uh, we have a winner. It was submitted. By guys going to be probably surprise he was a winner. Because the way he approached that equation, I suspect he's never won anything in his life. You can tell a lot about that. You know, it's like a Rorschach test. But uh, it'll be next Monday. We will uh, declare the winner. And uh, then, of course, uh, all the excitement will be over. Ah, sweet mystery of life, unending ever. I'll tell you, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to believe that there is, if you don't mind if I get a little philosophical here, on a Friday. Night. Hey, you know, speaking of Friday night, you realize that this is the uh, this this is for for a, a gigantic proportion of the sporting public. This is a very very significant night, the night before the Indy. And uh, you don't mind if I uh, indulge myself and do a thing about the Indianapolis race. But most, yeah, I I noticed most people in the East couldn't care less. Indianapolis race means nothing. Uh, they, uh, they they don't and yet yet uh, around the world uh, there are only two or three sporting events I'm talking about on a worldwide basis elicits more press more worldwide interest than the Indianapolis Speedway 500 Mile Classic and uh, it is one of the truly legendary sporting events that uh, takes place in America it it has to be compared if you're gonna if you're gonna compare Indy with anything else forget racing we're not even talking about racing particularly the only thing that you could really compare Indy with would be say uh, the Grant National which is a famous uh, Derby the Derby you know the Derby Uh, you could compare I'm talking about on a worldwide basis Uh, what else let's see that would be almost it uh, that, that elicits worldwide interest. The only possible exception would be uh, when when they have the the great yacht races that elicits this gets worldwide attention. You know, the, when the, the Lipton Cup or the America Cup is being is being contested for. I don't know why I called it the Lipton. Lipton Lipton is the guy that try. You know who Lip, You know who he's? He's one of the great tragic non-successful characters in all the history of sport. Did you ever hear of, of his? Uh, his fantastic, uh, endless, non-successful quest. You know who Lipton was, don't you? Well, you've heard of Lipton tea, haven't you? Well, it, Just take a look at the tea box, and there you'll see him right there on his the side. And he's wearing this little funny cap. It's a Sir Thomas Lipton, right? <laughs> well, Sir Thomas Lipton has uh, uh, spent uh, endless years trying to win the America Cup. And he, he turned out a succession of... Uh, of yachts that came over here to fight for this this trophy never won it never won it never even came close which is really tragic and uh he was such a cuckoo for yachts that when he you know had his picture put on the lipton P thing that's very important uh not every guy gets his picture put on uh, put on the brand name of something he had, he had this uh, funny little hat, which is his yachting cap. That's, that's what he really was interested in. He didn't have a tea picker's cap. He had a yachter, a cap of a yachter. And, and I think that that probably is about the only sporting event that uh, gets any worldwide attention. Now, for those of you who have never been to it, uh, anything you've ever seen in the movies or anything you've ever seen in newsreels or on TV, any, uh, any films of uh, this race, can't conceivably come close to the curious ambience and the feeling that is around the race right now this minute tonight uh, and in fact uh, they're going to begin tomorrow at twelve that's when the when the race begins. You know what the great worry is right now around uh, I just checked with uh, with the official types in our sporting department here. And they're sitting back there rattling the bones, you know, and yelling and playing. But, yeah, all sporting departments are alike. And uh, you notice I say, I don't say sports department. It's a sporting department we have here. Uh, they're sitting back there, you know, playing blackjack and they're making sneaky phone calls. And <laughs> oh, yeah, they're always on the phone. But uh, they are always, every place I've ever worked, always on the phone. There's always some guy named Doug who's sitting back there on the phone. They're holding the, holding the phone so that you can't hear who he's talking to. That's always the way it is. So... Uh, Nevertheless, uh, at this moment, right at this instant, uh, at this time of night, there is, uh, is, is a growing, curious uh, tension around the track at Indianapolis. Now, for those of you who have never been there, the, the, one of the main differences, of course, between this race and any other race is uh, the fantastic machines that take part in it. Uh, that the that the Indianapolis racer is really just designed for that race. It, uh, it doesn't run uh, much in anything else. It's designed to make that left-hand turn. <laughs> it just makes a left-hand turn. It's designed like some lethal piece of machinery for one specific purpose, and only one. Now, you go to any of the other major races around the world, you take the Formula One cars, the great cars that run it, at Le Mans and Monaco and so on, these cars are, are a very different breed of cat. You couldn't take any of those cars and put it in Indianapolis and have it last more than a, a couple of hundred miles. These these cars these cars are something else. And if you've watched, have you watched the fantastic speeds they've been turning up in the last couple of weeks in uh, in uh, well, actually practice runs, qualification runs. Now, when you hear of a car that turns a, a practice run at 195 or 191, do you have any idea what kind of speeds he's reaching on the straight? You've got to realize he makes four turns in that race. You know that the the actual Indianapolis Speedway track is uh, let's see, it's a two and a half miles, roughly two and a quarter, two and a half miles. That's the total run from uh, start line all the way around to start line. It's a, it's a two and a half mile oval, and it's really not an oval yet. It's it's almost like a big. If you were to look down on the, on a rectangle, like a box. And the corners are rounded off. It's got four big corners. Now the part that's inside is naturally called the infield, and uh, this is where where uh, all the all the action, much of the action, occurs. It has a great grandstand that runs along one straight, and in the middle of that grandstand, of course, is this huge tower that sticks up, which is the scoring tower. Have you seen pictures of that thing? It it stands up in the air like a like an enormous. Uh, just a, just a straight tower it sticks up, and it's got all these numbers all over it, and each car has got a number, naturally, from 1 to 33. And uh, the, Well, actually, the cars have all different numbers, but the one that has the number 1, any car that runs number 1, is the car that won the race the year before. So the number 1 car will be out there. And that's All the other numbers are various numbers that have to do with the guy's personal number and the number he... the the way uh, he wound up in the national ratings the year before and all that. So these numbers are not just arbitrary, see. So you'll see these numbers flashing up and down on the boards, and this board stands high, and you can tell right at the top, you'll see whatever car is leading, and that number stands right up at the top. So at a glance, you can tell the rotation of all the various cars, how they're doing in the race. And so naturally, uh, the, the pole car, uh, we, you know what the pole car is. For those of you who don't know what the designations of these cars are, the pole car is the car that uh, qualified with the fastest qualifying speed during the qualification runs on on a certain specific set of days, not just overall, certain specific days. Now, the, he is sitting in the pole, which means that he's on the number one row next to the infield. He's right on the pole. There he is, see? And that's a that's a that's a tough place to to uh, to beat. And when, when that guy starts out, of course, he he takes the first lap almost invariably. And you know what lap money is? You are what lap money is? Well, lap money is the amount of money that a, a driver makes uh, on the number of laps he leads the race. So a guy can lead the race for say a hundred laps and still not win. Something could happen. He could. Uh, wreck his differential or his transmission goes out and that's the end of it or maybe he just loses somebody somebody finally gets him on one of the turns and he winds up in fourth or fifth now he gets uh, I think it's $200 every lap that he's leading the race his car earns that much in lap money and so right from the very shot out of the gas you know when the when the first roar of the engines go Whoa, they roar down that straight that guy has already they go, they go around once he's already earned $200 right from the start and that, uh, that's nothing, of course, compared to what it costs to run a car in these races. You know what it costs to run a car? What they, what they, what they feel today that it costs just to put a car in that race, to, to get the driver to run the thing, uh, to, to uh, prepare it with the mechanics and all that, it costs just under today. And I'm talking about a car that's just a conventional uh, contestant in the race, not anything special. Around two hundred thousand dollars, just a little bit less than that now. <laughs> Around a hundred, so hundred ninety-five thousand. I figured that that if you really want to, you know, play it really chinchy, you know, get get a tenth-rate driver and go down at the Shell station and get some mechanic to put the thing on the track for you. Uh, you know, you may be able to squeak by at a hundred and a half, which is a hundred. Of course, you've got no chance with a car like that. But uh, you'd at least always tell your friends that you had a car in Indy, see? even if it only went the first quarter lap. You know, <laughs> and went went through the Carvel ice cream stand, and that was the end of it. But uh, nevertheless, this this is a this is a fantastic uh, event. You see, and all over the world, these drivers come just to watch. Now that 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 race has far more. Uh, far more prestige among the people who are really knowledgeable about cars than it has among the sports writers curiously enough Uh, this is WOR New York and let's get on with some of these commercials here Uh, yeah here uh, we've got a thing for Memorial Day Huffman Coos has begun their big Memorial Day sale so you'll be able to get in on Huffman Coos famous Memorial Day furniture bargains before Memorial Day they got fantastic bargains. And what bargains? You'll be able to buy luxury, famous make mattresses or box springs, twin or full size for only fifty-five dollars each. There's a luxury rosewood and champagne velvet sofa, <laughs> going for only two hundred ninety-nine. That'll teach you. You may buy mill trials of nationally advertised pile carpeting for ten ninety-five a square yard. And Huffman Coos is having a gigantic Memorial Day sale. that's being held at every one of Huffman Coos 13 fine furniture stores in New Jersey and in Nanuit, New York. Is that Nanuit or Nanuit? Nanuit? Don't know it. Uh, open every day from 9.30 to 9.30, Saturday until 6. You can call area code 201-343-4300 for the location of the nearest Huffman Koo's Memorial Day sale. It's a big deal. Uh, let's see. We've got something for Newsday, do we? All right, hit the... Hit it. Hit it. Hit it. Hey, Dad, can I add the sports section? Yeah. Sure. Here it is. Oh, nuts. What's the matter? They don't have the final score of the Mets game. Frustrating, isn't it? Believe me, I know. I'm Marty O'Shea, sports news editor of Newsday. Until recently, fans on Long Island frequently didn't get the final scores of Saturday night games in the New York Sunday papers. But now Long Island has its own Sunday paper, Sunday Newsday. Newsday isn't trucked out from the city. That means we can give you the latest sports news available on the island. We've doubled the size of the Sunday sports section, so you'll get more news. And since we don't have to cover Westchester, Connecticut, and New Jersey, you'll get more news about Long Island school sports. So keep up with the Mets and Jets and Nets in Sunday Newsday. We can't guarantee you'll like the final score, but at least you'll know it. Sunday Newsday. We're glad you like it. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. I like that little sterling home life drama there. Hey, uh, Jerry, do we have the uh, information here on Fritz the Cat? I mean, I have the book here, but I mean, do you have uh, where it's playing and all that stuff? Are you? Uh, it's playing all over? Fritz the Cat is playing all over? Well, well. Well, well, well. And they talked about Rome. Well, well. Uh, <laughs> all I can say, friends, is Fritz the Cat is playing all over. And uh, if you haven't seen Fritz the Cat, I would suggest you do so. I'm not. No, that's not a personal uh, recommendation. Uh, I would say that uh, if you got that kind of mind, I would suggest you see it. Uh, it's a blockbuster in many ways it's a turning point it's an X-rated cartoon if you really want to know what it is and uh, of course many of you know what X-rated cartoons many of you used to have those little blue books you carry around you know those were X-rated right from the start but uh, Fritz the Cat is playing everywhere and uh, I know a couple of the guys who are involved in this thing Steve Krantz for example used to be over at WNEW he produced it Steve Krantz did you know that? Bob Crumb is the cartoonist that the thing is based upon. He didn't do the animation or anything. They just based it on his character, Fritz. Uh, Fritz, the lascivious cat. And uh, if you'd like to see Fritz the Cat, well, you could do so at your own risk. But uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, reminding you it's playing all over the place. Let's see. We have a general tire. Well, let me hear those bugles, please. Yes. Yes, it's a great second-tire half-off sale on General Tire's best four-ply nylon cord tires. Here's the story. You buy one General Jet Air 3 at the regular low-selling price and get the second tire for just half price. That's a pretty good deal, Plus 175 for the tax, you know, depending on the size. You save from 1275 to 2425 on that second tire at this big sale. So save now during the great second tire half-off sale. Hurry, to sale ends Saturday, May 27th. Home of the big red General Tire G at your one-stop car care headquarters. Hooray! Yeah. Big red G. Hey, we did it. That's uh, sale ends tomorrow, according to this note. Now, let's see, we've got uh, one more. Let's see, we've done this. Yeah, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got the zip kit thing here. And uh, if you have any skin problems... We have a note here about Dermacon Skin Cleanser. It's the Zip Kit, the kit that contains three different types of skin medications. One, they have uh, the Dermacon Skin Cleanser, which cleans your skin. The Dermacon Medicated Lotion for the daytime. You you put this stuff on, and it helps uh, your problems like uh, whiteheads and stuff. And Dermacon Medicated Cream for nighttime. It heals and soothes while you sleep. Sounds like fun. And uh, you can get this Dermacon kit. Uh, it's called Dermacon Zip Kit. Give it a 30-day trial, and uh, you'll see the difference. So you can buy Dermacon Zip Kit at Genovese, Whalen, MAC, Drug Guild, and other leading pharmacies. That's Dermacon Zip Kit. All right. Hooray. There, we've got all the commercials done. You know, uh, uh I'll tell you I was at the I was at the Indy race last year. I covered covered it for Car and Driver for those of you who are not aware of it. I'll just uh, drop this for what it's worth that I do a monthly column for Car and Driver. You ever read it? The column at all in the C&D? Or oh, you don't read that magazine anyway. Strictly Reader's digest, right? No. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, I covered uh, the the race from a very uh, privileged standpoint, it's kind of kind of great uh, to go to a thing like the Indianapolis 500 and see the fantastic uh, tradition and the curious mystique that goes on much beyond and behind the race it has very little to do with the race. For example, I'll tell you something I've never never encountered in, in, in at all in print. And this was the first time that I'd ever covered the race as a journalist, so I had all the official, uh, journalist uh, badges, and uh, they, they come in about 15 different uh, grades, you know, or didn't you know that, that you don't just get a pass to the race when you're a journalist. You get all, it, it ranges all the way from a, uh, what they call a pit pass, which means you can go right down into the pits, right in the middle of the race, to, uh, to a fairly low-level pass, which means you just get in free, you know, someplace you can stand somewhere and watch the race. And uh, they come in all different colors, and they're they're very heavily policed uh, because, naturally, this is pretty dangerous, and they can't just let anybody come down in that pit down there when the race is on because, boy, there's a lot of action happens on there, ranging all the way from an occasional car that blows up right in the pit to somebody getting nicked by a tire, uh, which has happened quite often in the pits down there. Well, I happen to have one of the the top... uh, due to the fact that I was doing a piece on it I have I had one of the top uh, infield uh, pit passes so I was involved in all the various stuff that they have and and before the race and and like today here during Friday and Saturday morning before the race there's about a thousand cocktail parties that are held all over around the track in various places they may hold them in uh, the Howard Johnson. They hold them in the Holiday Inn. They hold them in the hotel, They're all different places. And, and uh, who holds these things? Well, all kinds of manufacturers of one kind or another who have stuff running in the race. Uh, STP will have a cocktail party. Uh, somebody will have a, a the Goodyear Firestone. Somebody who builds tires. Somebody who builds uh, special lubrications. Yeah, Shell will have have a cocktail printing. Of course, you, you go to all these various things. And they have all kinds of uh, elegant things that are going on. They give you little souvenirs, all kinds of stuff. But the thing is that that uh, that all the world's press is there. This is something you probably are not too aware of because TV never talks about this. TVs on there some TV, uh, but the world's press is there. I mean, from very elegant automotive magazines that are that are done in in places like Perth, australia, Bombay, and the places like you know, London, of course England is a great racing country, so there's all kinds of English writers that always show up very elegant uh correspondents in their tweed suits and, and they always have their birds with them you know, and it's oh yeah, so uh, the champagne flows like water. And uh, all these various writers, they all know each other. It's a a very closed circuit. The the, uh, circuit of the the journalist celebrity in the racing world has a very special quality to it. And the sterling moss is always on hand. And and all the various uh, uh, celebrities that are connected with the racing world all show up about three or four days before the Indianapolis race, and they begin to see each other, and they, they sit by the pool in the motel, and they all know each other, and uh, they're calling each other back and forth, and they, they've been to, you know, races, all of them have been to Monaco, they've been to, to uh, uh, Le Mans, and, and it's all like a, like a big family, and the drivers are kind of outside of it. This would surprise you, you know, <laughs> most people. The drivers come and go, but the press remains. That's very important to remember. Just like it was the sporting world everywhere, you know, pitchers come and go, but Larry Merchant remains. Uh, <laughs> isn't that the truth? You know, third baseman rise and third baseman fall, but who remains? Lindsey Nelson. And so uh, that, that's the, 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 the real the real world of the race is is all these the the, the journalists who are always uh, writing the critique of the race and they're writing the the brilliant article on Mario Andretti. And the, around the outskirts, this this is something that's kind of interesting. You see the, the ex-drivers, all kinds of ex-drivers, guys that have, uh, you know, they had their big day, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, 10 years ago maybe, and now they're they're in other businesses. They're working for public relations for somebody or they're working at an insurance company. And they all drift in and all these these ex-drivers sit around and they all have a curious kind of uh, sadness around the eyes. It's a strange thing because they're no longer part of it. Uh, they're kind of left out. Uh, it's like uh, half of the journalists even they are so hip and with it they don't even know who these guys are. You know, It's a kind of put down of the ex-driver. And uh, there are three types of drivers really basically now that are riding in this race. And you'll see them tomorrow. So if you if you read the if you read the uh, you know the rundown of the race, the drivers, uh, you'll you'll know that there are three general types of drivers. The first type of driver is the professional race driver. This is a guy that that started in uh, some little town in North Carolina, someplace, uh, driving motorcycles when he was 15. During his days in school, he worked his way slowly up through the County Fair circuits and the dirt tracks, and finally he was driving the big, the big stocks, you know, and and finally, at long last, now he's driving at Indianapolis. This is the professional. This is the hard bitten type who uh, who's out there. He's and he, he usually he usually has a vaguely a bad English. And you know, I say, hey, give me one of them, uh, give me one of them uh, round things you're eating over. There. What are the things you're eating over there? You know, he's he's a good old boy type, but these these are the hard eyed professionals who drive and uh, drive to win. (laughs) They're they're not involved in any of the... the, uh, uh, Very few of them are involved in the social life that goes on around it. The second type of driver is the, you might say, the international celebrity type. This is a a development in Indianapolis in the past 15 years or so. This is when uh, guys like Jim Clark suddenly showed up, and Graham Hill... Uh, the elegant drivers of the European circuits began to make it on uh, on the indie tracks. Uh, they they come over here, and uh, that is another very definite, different uh, world. I mean, you're, you're not going to find a uh, Graham Hill having much in common with Cale Yarborough, except they both are men who drive with a heavy foot and fast machines. <laughs> See, they they have that in common that they're both in a very dangerous, uh, lethal sport, and, and yet. The 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 worlds of, of, apart. Uh, you'll see Graham Hill like last the time I was at the race last year. Graham Hill had been injured in a in a race uh, in Europe, and he was not uh, taking part in the Indy. You know, he won it one year Indianapolis. So Graham Hill, he he, elegant, he, he looks exactly the way you think a, uh, a a British racing car driver should look. He's got this chiseled profile, and he wears this ass cut, I mean, he's He's got the elegant club blazer, with a with a great uh, with a great escutcheon, a tremendous uh, coat of arms on his on his blazer of some obscure racing club in Manchester or, or Sussex. <laughs> you know, he really does. He wears the elegant slacks, the gray flannels, and uh, he was sitting on a on a pile of tires during the race. It was very interesting to watch him down in the pit area. He was just sitting on a, on a pile of tires. In somebody's pit, he wasn't involved. He wasn't wasn't working with anybody's kind. Just sitting there, dressed absolutely with with complete uh, English uh, the the the, old, the way the English can do it. You know, the English are, are much. Uh, how can I say it? There <laughs> to them, being dressed is is a way of life, and uh, it's uh, here he was. He was elegantly turned out. He was wearing this dark blue blazer and this. His, uh, his, heavy, his hair is all uh, kind of being blown by the wind. He looked like he was on the bow of some destroyer in the North Atlantic on the Murmansk run, you know, that kind of thing. He had this, this gold pencil mustache, and his eyes were kind of uh, wrinkled around the edges, you know, from, from squinting into the exhaust of too many cars on the circuits. And He just had that look, you know. And here here he is. He's, he's sitting on this pile of tires, and he was talking to no one, and I was maybe two or three feet from him. This is Graham Hill, one of the great names in racing, and uh, nobody's paying any attention. I'm sure the crowd didn't know who he was because he was just sitting there quietly. He wasn't wearing one of the jackets with STP all over it, and he's just watching the cars go by. And he'd sit there, and he, he never took his never took his his eyes off the track. Not once during the entire three-hour race, he's just sitting there watching. And he'd see them come around that corner, and he's watching very carefully. And the car would go whistling by, and he'd watch it as it goes by. What he was thinking, I have no idea. Uh, What he was seeing, I have no idea. But he was just watching with, with absolute concentration. No comment, said nothing. A true pro. Now, that's the second group of drivers, the international celebrity. Now, there's the third group of drivers, which again is a somewhat of a somewhat of a, a fairly recent development in America. It's the uh, uh, it's well it's the it's the gentleman scion of the rich family driver who has uh, you know he's uh, he's his old man made a pot of dough in something see which the son has nothing to do with and he's become like uh, as a matter of fact I, 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 there's an old there's an old comet in England where they have long experience with the aristocracy and they 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 say that aristocracy is never the first generation i mean the guy that was out there making the dough and winning the title for the family he was a tough son of a gun who spent his time hitting the saracens on the head with clubs you know it was only and he finally made the family title and the crest and the coat of arms and he uh, he got the dough together and it was his son that became the snob his son had done nothing see? And so we have that type now beginning to evolve. Uh, Dan Gurney is a classic example of that. Uh, Peter Revson is probably the most famous example of that type of driver. And Gurney is the is the uh, is the gentleman daredevil uh, scion of the rich family. You know who Revson is, don't you, or don't don't many of you know who Rebson is? Well, that's Revlon. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's done very well. He, uh, that is his father did very well, and he's. He's, uh, he's been able to indulge his sport of international driving, which is a very expensive sport. And so uh, th- that's really the basic three groups. Now, there is one other group of drivers. This is the fourth group uh, that's uh, kind of an interesting group. And the, the fourth group of driver is the guy who uh, really, in a sense, uh, came up through sport cars and Began to develop a reputation in sport cars, then switched to such things as uh, as uh, the big the, the big stocks at Darlington, and uh, wound up uh, running in the big races. Penske is an example, of that. and another one is uh, is uh, well Yarbrough that I mentioned. He's uh, you know he's all running in the big 500s down at uh, Daytona on that. Now here he is, he's racing in in uh, in Indy for a long time. You know these drivers had great disdain. Uh, the Indianapolis drivers had great disdain for the guys that drove stocks. Or did you know that? It was just a completely different world. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, you know, this is ridiculous. On the other hand, you found that the guys uh, in the European circus, they had great disdain for the Indy drivers, except they also had great respect for them because they knew the lethal kind of driving they were involved in and the fantastic amount of human endurance it takes now, right now at this minute, now let's, let's uh, pull it up to this second. Uh, right now, the great, I hope this isn't boring you. Well, you know, a lot of people are just not interested in anything other than their own little world, and they, they don't want to know much about anything else. But uh, the, the, the Indianapolis race is a very, very specific American thing, and it is probably the premier sporting event Around the world, that happens in America. You know, there's much more interest in, in the Indianapolis race around the world than anything, let's say the Derby, Kentucky Derby. I hate to disab- disabuse you there, but the Kentucky Derby is an American thing. And not many people are interested in the Kentucky Derby in, say, places like Perth, Australia, uh, if they've ever even heard of it. But they do know about Indy. And Indianapolis is, it's like, uh, it's like some kind of a phenomena that can't really be described. Another thing, too, I must say about it, is that this particular race, like other great events, I mean, talk about great events that transcend the local interest and so on, uh, cannot really be understood by those who don't really, in a sense, already understand it. Now, <laughs> what am I saying? It's just like, it's like what the, the famous line about jazz, man. If you've got to explain it, you'll never know what it's about. Uh, it's like humor. If you have to explain a joke to somebody, they are never going to laugh about it. Forget it. Uh, and this is an, uh, really an inexplicable thing, this race. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about how it started, it actually started, you know, to test cars. It started around 1900 and, uh, I think, 1911, something like that. I'm not sure of the date, but the first driver was a man named Haroon, who won it at an average of around 75 miles an hour. Which, stop to think about it. it. was a lot of, and he was an engineer, incidentally, not a race driver. He, uh, he was an engineer who had worked on the design of the car, and uh, as an engineer, he went out and he drove this thing, as an engineer, and uh, he won it. And uh, that was it. He was not interested at all in the fact that he won the race. He was interested in the machinery. He, uh, he did his job. And the next year, when they tried to get him to go into this thing, he, he couldn't understand why they wanted him to, to come drive it. You know, <laughs> He was an engineer, and uh, that was it. So Haroon was a very interesting character right from the beginning. And uh, there has been legends that have grown up around the Indianapolis race. There were other famous races back in that time, but none of them have survived the way the Indianapolis has survived. Combination of things, and uh, on the night of the race, this is like tonight. This is the eve of the race. The tension becomes almost unbearable in Gasoline Alley. Now, Gasoline Alley is a is a long, narrow strip of land that exists right directly behind the main clubhouse, the uh, the control tower, the uh, the scoreboard, the whole thing that you see once in a while on television. It exists right off the track and is where the cars are kept before they race. There's a whole series of little wooden garages, all one after the other. It's like a little row, one after the other. And on the outside of each one of the garages is the guy's number. You see this big number 34, 16, 12, 2, 9. And you know immediately whose car you're looking at because of that number. Now, nobody's allowed back in that. Gasoline Alley. One of the most difficult passes to get is to be able to allow be allowed to go back in that area for a lot of reasons, and so because it's uh, you know it's a fairly lethal area after all. You've got a lot of machinery sitting back there with a lot of very high octane special fuel that, if any minute, if that stuff started to go up, it would be an unbelievable disaster. But here are these 33 cars. That's how many remain after the qualification in the beginning of the qualification runs. They're usually around 60 to 70, almost sometimes as high as 100 cars that are actually entered in the race. And by the time the qualifications are over, there are just 33 cars. There are 11 rows of three. And that's what the race consists of. Now, uh, they're all parked right now, this minute, as you're listening to me. They're all in those little cubbyhole garages now the garages are tiny by even your standards the little garage may be only uh, about 6 or 7 feet wide and about 15 feet deep it's a little flat wooden shed and uh, the lights are on in every one of those 30 feet garages and these guys are crawling over them and uh, who are they well they're the, the ace mechanics of each of each car there's a head mechanic on each car there's usually two or three assistant mechanics Then there's the pit crew. The pit crew is not the mechanics. When people see those guys running around, they generally go to the mechanics. No, they're not. That's a pit crew. And these pit crews are as highly trained as any uh, Broadway cast. And they can can take off four tires. They can completely gas up a car. They can change the plugs. I mean, they can do a fantastic uh, operation. They jack up the back. They can even uh, do things like... uh, replace uh, wiring, do all this stuff in about 18, 19 seconds. And they move like uh, like, uh, well, like a wearing blender. If you ever got wound up in the middle of one of those pit crews out there, you'll have to be screwed right down into a cylinder head, you know? <laughs> Just, man. Well, they, they, that's the pit crew. Now, the pit crew would not be there tonight. See, the pit crew has this very special job. And uh, unless uh, one of the pit crews is also a mechanic, as ca- happens occasionally, uh, they would not be there tonight. Who is there? Well, the mechanics uh, who are working on this car, running tests constantly on it. Uh, they're, they're they're making final uh, jet adjustments, final adjustments for for uh, ignition. They're going through everything with a with a fine tooth. They have the, usually have all the complete shell of the car removed now. And often the car is even completely apart at this hour. It's hard to believe it, and they're working on the thing. Well. What happens uh, outside of the, uh, the huge oval? Well, of course, Indianapolis, the speedway, is, uh, is a one-shot thing, that the speedway is used from time to time during the year for various tests. Cars are tested and all that there. But it's one big day is this race. They don't have races at the Speedway regularly, you know, which surprises a lot of people. They have one big race a year. So, so here it is now. There's thousands of people are lined up right now at this minute outside of the gate waiting to get their car into that infield. And they've been waiting in some cases as long as two and three weeks. And there are old veteran fans. Yes, that's true. Old veteran fans who have jackets on. And they wear these jackets with great prints, like uh, campaign ribbons, you know, the guys that fought with uh, Napoleon at Waterloo and all that, you know. And they have patches of all the races that they have been to. And some of these people maintain correspondence with each other throughout the year. They don't see each other except at that, that, that race. And the, the race is the one thing that, that connects the, the, the family, this little family with another family that say lives in uh, Kansas. And they come from all over the country, these fanatics. Uh, they come from places, uh, you know, California. They come from up in, up in Canada. and They come from Mexico, every place. And they all gather with their cars, waiting outside. They're having parties. They're drinking and everything else. They're, they're uh, walking around talking about family news and stuff, waiting for that. Six o'clock in the morning, there's a cannon goes off. This is part of the tradition. The cannon goes off. The sun is up high now. Boom. And they open the gates, and these cars come roaring in, into the infield. Well, the crowd begins to move in, and by by ten o'clock in the morning, the the uh, the, the the traffic it, uh, throughout practically the entire Midwest, <laughs> certainly throughout all of Central Indiana, is affected by this fantastic crowd that's arriving at this race. There's a Better than a quarter of a million people, about 300,000 people. Have you ever seen 300,000 people in one collection? It's a fantastic crowd. And and the, the excitement begins to build up. And the thing they're worried about tonight, right now, is that the fear that it may be a very hot day. Uh, there are reports that it's going to be hot. Well, that's the worst kind of racing weather, with the possible exception of sleet and rain. Uh, Because these cars, moving at these fantastic speeds, are ovens to begin with. They are just unbelievably hot. You know, one driver's already died in the past ten years of heat exhaustion. Just died in his car. Did you know about that one? Well, that's how hot these things get. And, of course, if the temperature rises to 100 degrees in the stands, it's about 150 to 200 degrees, almost 200 degrees down on the, down on the actual track. And when these cars start, ro- start roaring with all of that horsepower and that curious cooling systems they've got in them, uh, they, 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 the guy is literally driving an oven around the track with his feet right on the broiler. <laughs> right on the broiler. I mean, you could actually broil steaks in the cockpits of some of those cars. So there's a lot of worry about it, and all. And right now, uh, there's there's parties going on all over Indianapolis. The elegant press has arrived, and uh, they're all talking about what happened last year at Monaco and what's going to happen next year at Le Mans. And they're serving. This is this is a tradition that I never heard of until I became part of that press world. You know that they come into the press room and and uh, just after the race starts, they serve a special. A special Indianapolis cheese dip that has been served at the racetrack apparently since the beginning of the actual race. And they bring this dip in there. It's a—it's not really a dip. It's made out of cream cheese, a curious stuff with uh, with fruit in that in it. And people dip it up with crackers. And it's a very very traditional thing, only to the press. They bring it in with great fanfare, and they serve this and that. Uh, you see the ex-drivers sort of lurking around the outside, talking about the, their great days when they almost took Wilbur Shaw, and, uh, you know, the, the, the time that they spun out on the on the south turn, just when it looked like they were going to overtake Lou Lou Frame, or Fred Frame or or uh, Tony Bettenhausen, whatever are And by the way, that's another group of drivers that's beginning to be very interesting, and that's the second generation Indy drivers, the Bettenhausens. Uh, they're they're at least three drivers whose fathers were great Indianapolis drivers are now driving in tomorrow's race. So uh, the tradition is getting larger and larger in spite of the fact that in most cases the national press does not pay much attention to that race. Have you noticed that? They don't, uh, they don't give it nearly the press, say, that the, that the uh, Kentucky Derby gets. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but worldwide, it's another story. Uh, Worldwide, uh, the the interest in those fast cars, the interest in the drivers. Mario Andretti, for example, is kind of a a legend in Italy now. Uh, You know, the great American driver who won the race a couple of years ago. And the Uncers are strange, taciturn, enigmatic guys that are heroes of their home state. Where are they from? All right, these are hard-driving Westerners. They had the look in the eye, Bobby and Al of the professional driver. And at 12 noon, the balloons will go up, and, ooh, they'll roar off. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News.